Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 67 to Philadelphia. Hi, hey, Alex. How are you? The city of brotherly love. That's a great place. The last time I went there was, uh, wow, <laughs> the 90s for sure. Uh, I didn't actually visit the airport, so I'm going to rely on you. It was a couple of years ago, but it was very briefly. Back to Manchester, I think, on a, one of my more circuitous itineraries. But uh, yeah, it's nice. I'd like to go back to that city and explore it some more. I obviously, you have a picture of me standing up the stairs of the <laughs> library. That's where Rocky, they have a statue in the even have the footsteps where you're supposed to stand that's where he was of course you have to do this and you listen to the music right, as right, well right. Or the rocky balboa music when you do the steps so you're completely in it <laughs> anyway the reason i wanted to do uh philadelphia is of course because the eagles won you know i'm not a huge fan of uh u.s football i usually watch the super bowl this time i didn't even watch it because for us it's the middle of the night I will admit something that uh, a lot of people will hate me. I'm not a big fan of the Patriots. I'm not a big fan of Tom Brady. And I love underdogs. I mean, I really love underdogs. New Patriots fans, Boston people, don't worry, I still love you as well. (laughs) Don't hate me, please. You know what? I think the Patriots are the most hated team in America anyway. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, just because they're irritatingly good. I think everybody hated the Niners and the the Cowboys in the 80s and 90s. So it's success breeds uh, (laughs) hatred if you're not part of the team that's winning all the time. So yeah, it was it was a great game, fantastic. Yes, I saw the the highlights uh, the next day, the next morning, and yes, I was I was uh, sad I didn't watch it. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a horrible time of day anyway. Exactly, us. absolutely. Um, well, uh, I don't know. Can we qualify ourselves as winners? Sometimes we have great listenership. People are really kind with us. But last episode was a bit of a loser one because, of course, just right after this is the worst if in in, th- in our three years. Is it three years we're doing this? Yeah, it is three years wow. almost to the day. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, today, by the way, it's uh, uh, the 9th of February, Friday, uh, and I aim to release that tomorrow. And that's the thing, not leave a little bit of time between the, f- the recording. And the- because that got us. That's what it. happened. Yeah, that got us. So the 380 that we said was about to die, well, is not dying. The Nikki uh, airline that was supposedly built by IAG didn't happen. Bombardier, the story changed. I mean, the entire story of our show changed. So sorry, guys, yeah, because... Yeah. <laughs> To the point I even hesitated. I said I had made the mix and I said, should I release that? Because half of the show is wrong. Yeah, it was so funny because literally, you know, moments after you pulled the trigger on it, we were messaging back and forth to the point where I think after we traded three stories, we're like, wow, the first half of the next show is just going to be recanting on all of these stories. (laughs) But that's good. I mean, it's it's. It's exciting times in the aviation world. I, I think that we, because we are both hurt by this, you know, episode and having to, to cope with that, these emotions. I think we need emotional support. So we need a peacock, <laughs> don't, don't you think? <laughs> this, I think this is the craziest thing I've seen in a long time. This, this lady was denied boarding on a United flight because she wanted to bring her and we're not making this up, her emotional support peacock with her. And I think United said, okay, enough of this stuff. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Go away. And she was she was turned away. And actually, I think it's prompted a lot of airlines to 
change their quote unquote emotional support animal policies to be a lot more uh, strict. Quite frankly, yeah, I think it was already something that was in a in a move. Uh, I don't think there's yet a federal regulation about this, meaning restricting the use of emotional support animals. But it seemed to have gone a little bit overboard. I mean, of course, the peacock is the latest in a long series of uh, that people would would say that. X or Y animal is an emotional support animal when it's not, you know, most of them wanted to simply have their animal with them and not in the hold or not in a cage or something. Yeah. So, and I think as well, the some other passengers were, um, you know, kind of bothered and some animals also makes, made a mess, you know, I'm not talking only about uh, feces and other, but would actually eat seats and yeah. stuff. So do you, have you ever witnessed emotional animals within an aircraft yourself? I don't think I've witnessed emotional support animals. I don't know if I'd be able to tell the difference between someone just bringing their their pet on board like a dog, which is frequent occurrence in the US because you know, they're allowed to, and an emotional support animal. I don't think I've ever seen an animal other than a dog or a cat in a cage on board, except the hawks and or falcons, birds of prey in the Middle East, um, which you see from time to time. But no, I, I don't think I have my emotional support spider monkey. <laughs> <laughs> there were stories, you remember, there were stories about a penguin, I think, at some point, or, I mean, a peacock. Apparently, this lady, uh, she's an artist, a photographer, I think, based in New York. She had requested that the animal would be on board. She was denied three times before coming to Newark. It was in New York. So, of course, she comes out of pictures are very really funny about, because this is really like a very, very large huge bird. <laughs> To be fair, she even, I think, uh, proposed to buy a seat for the animal, but they said, come on, that's not going to fly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if peacocks actually do fly, do they? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't My, know, I'm not, uh, not that clued up on large birds. <laughs> By the way, if you guys love peacocks, and if, especially if you like that peacock, that peacock apparently has an Instagram account. I'll put that in the, <laughs> in the show notes. Which, by the way, I apologize because last episode show notes are not up. I'm so, so, so busy these days that I didn't have the time to do it. Nobody complains. Maybe nobody looks at them. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but I promise you guys I will I will have the, the show notes back up uh, uh, quickly. Um, yeah, so the, the women with peacock, at least at the heart. You know, I have myself pets. So I like pets, obviously. And the peacock was uh, in a kind of dire position, I think. And she kind of rescued him. I think it's a him. So she had a good heart, at least. You know, maybe we can mock her for wanting to bring the bird in a plane. The bird in the bird. That's very meta. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. (laughs) That's very bad. But uh, at least she has a heart. This other uh, woman, uh, she dumped her hamster in the loo of the airport. Uh, So she was uh, supposed to fly with Spirit. She had called the airline before. Uh, She had gotten the information that, yes, she she would be able to fly with the hamster, which is a much smaller animal than a peacock. Uh, Arriving at the airport, uh, I think she went through security, but then she was denied uh, entry to the plane. And apparently, (laughs) that's the worst. Apparently, uh, an employee from Spirit told her, uh, you can either let it loose outside of the airport or flush him down the toilet. And she opted for the second this option. This is uh, insane, the- isn't it? Absolutely insane. Uh, I don't get it. I don't get it either. I, and I don't think we're getting the full story here, but she she, she did do it. She flushed this hamster down the toilet. I, I find it very hard to believe that a an employee or any decent human being would not jokingly tell them to do that and that they would comply. <laughs> I, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, maybe we'll learn more about this, but it's 
the craziest yeah. thing. It really is. And, and I don't know if she ever used the term emotional support, support animal, but you cannot call that an emotional support animal if five minutes you later could, you just flush it down. Yeah. Flat. I mean, <sighs> and she has no heart. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I cannot have respect for you because you don't kill anymore. No. And I just don't get it. And uh, as far as the airline goes, because of course the airline denies having one of its employees ever saying, advising such a course of action. Uh, but maybe, you know, ultra low cost airline, ultra low cost morals. I don't know. <laughs> no, <I'm very laughs> uh, since I just talked about United with a peacock and uh, because, you know, I'm in 2018, I feel having to be balanced and generous towards the airlines we usually criticize. Um, so whilst United can be criticized a lot of time, there's this story, I don't know if you've heard about it, that there was this person that had a voucher for a plane ticket issued 19 years ago. That was before even the bankruptcies and everything. So it's a different airline, actually. It's not even the same airline anymore. Mm. They could have just said, you know, whatever. That's not valid anymore. They they accepted it. Yeah, it was a rather lovely story. This chap, actually, he was in California, wasn't he, in the Central Valley, and he was due to go to a wedding 19 years ago and for whatever reason wasn't able to. And while he was going through some stuff in his garage, stumbled across this paper ticket. And it was a quote-unquote forever ticket. It said in in the contract of carriage that if they can't use it, the, the value is good forever. And as you say, United then went bankrupt. And during that bankrupt, all obligations were discharged. So legally, they could have, like you said, gone and said, no, this doesn't do it. And they tried to call. he tried to call a bunch of people through reservation system, customer service, they weren't able to help. And it wasn't until he went on Twitter and said, here's my situation, uh, that United said, you know what? Go ahead. This is this is nice. This is a nice story, and we're we're happy to make it. You know, yeah. the happy ending. You know, that's how it should be. By the way, right? I, of course, it's not a ticket. I think it was like a less than four hundred dollars. They and that's interesting. They baked in the inflation in it. Apparently, that's what I'm, I'm hearing from Fire Talk. I think I think the equivalent of today would be maybe six hundred dollars or something, and they they went they they did okay with it. Good story. It is a good story, you know, and I think that the value. I mean, not to be cynical about this, but the value, the PR value that they got out of this was yeah. worth more than six hundred bucks. Yeah. Because here we are talking about it on our podcast. Yeah, it's not every day that we are uh, giving nice stories about United. But as I said, I've, I'm a changed man in 2018, maybe, and I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna be more balanced. <laughs> Talking about balance, so. Let's go for the first story we completely screwed up in our last episode. So we were saying, but everybody, not only us, I'm not trying to diminish our role here, that the 380 was dying, that Airbus was about to close the program altogether. We said many times that there was a war of words, probably, you know, backdoor negotiations because negotiations never broke down between Emirates and Airbus about a new order. You remember, guys, that I said, I think, uh, three, four episodes ago that during the Dubai Air Show, Emirates really did crush the dreams yeah. of Airbus by announcing the Dreamliner instead of the planned announcement of 380. So I think there was like really tough negotiations about the details and conditions. But to make the story short, Emirates is buying 20 more A380s with an option for 16 more. This really was a surprise, I think, to everybody, given the yeah. whole 787 you know, sleight of hand that they did at the Dubai Air Show, we thought that was it. Not only are they not ordering, but they're actually pretty pissed off at Airbus to to pull something like this. And that's clearly not the case. And interesting commentary on the state of the A380 project or program is that, like you say, there was no even hint that they were going to go for the NEO. That was a plus, pardon me. Yeah, they didn't go for it. They didn't even... That's very strange. I mean, so whatever performance increases or improvements that they were touting on the plus, 
were not enough to get them to to sign it away. And as you say, the economics were clearly in Emirates' favor for them to even consider this. Yeah, I'm sure they they got, and that's everybody says it. Obviously, they they must have gotten a pretty sweet. They must have. They must have. I mean, part part of the negotiation must have been about the deal itself, and maybe, and that's the other maybe, part of the negotiation was that Emirates, as baked in, maybe we don't know the conditions of the contracts again, but wanted some reassurance of having a long term commitment from Airbus because they didn't want to buy an aircraft that would be killed two years down the line. So maybe, like, so maybe mm-hmm. they, I don't know exactly, because I don't think that Airbus can promise anyone that they're going to do the 380 forever. Yeah. But I think that if Emirates wants to continue its strategy with 380, which they could have gone another way, they could have said, you know what, we're going to wait for the 777X, which has 450 seats and go completely there and uh, keep on going with our current 380s, but never replace them and fight. They could have maybe imagined something different. But for doubling down on their 380 strategy, at least for the foreseeable future, maybe they asked for some other type of reassurance yeah. from Airbus. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm sure that there was a lot of uh, of that because you're right you're not, they're not going to want to invest hundreds of millions billions into a program that Airbus know that they're going to kill in the future they needed to have some kind of guarantees i would love to have been a fly on the wall during those negotiations they <laughs> must have been quite extraordinary it also it's really fun to reread all that's been said in the past 12 months because now you can read that with the I mean we knew the the conversation was ongoing we knew negotiations were actually happening they never broke down but now you can see that the war wars with a lot of PR to try to make the other break to say no I'm not going to flinch you flinch yep. first but as a passenger I'm happy that the 380 survives me too me too I, I I'm I'm a fan of that airplane I'm flying on one an Emirates one next weekend. It's good. I think it I think it allows them to Emirates, that is, to to think and develop their onboard product for the next 10 years as well, which has to be an advantage to them. They've already they've cemented what the future for the triple seven looks like with all of these wonderful things that we'll perhaps talk about a little bit later. But now they can do the same with the A380 because they know they're invested for the long run. So they currently have 101 380s. Uh if you put all of them together, I think in in total, the order were 178 380s, but there will never be 178 380s concurrently because some of the new ones will replace some of the first ones they ever gotten. Uh, not all of them because uh, Sheikh uh, Al Maktoum, the, uh, the chairman and chief exec of, of Emirates, basically hinted at the fact that there will be new routes. This order will allow an, an expansion of the network. What's interesting about the strategy is that now they've got the flexibility to do that, whereas in the past, I don't think they have. As the performance of the, both of those airframes increases, the 777 and the A380 programs or whatever they end up doing, and then, like you say, drawing the Dreamliner into the mix, they can start to really think about, okay, what's this point-to-point stuff that we're going to do as opposed to yep. running everything through Dubai, which means hopefully – we're going to see more Fifth Freedom routes, which we can yeah. in, in London selfishly take advantage of. I mean, they've already announced they're going to do uh, Santiago to Chile. Yep. Uh, I don't know if that must be that must be with a triple seven, but I think I think this is a good thing strategically for them. Obviously, that must be that, or they wouldn't have done it. But I'm optimistic that it plays into a broader Fifth Freedom strategy that 
you and I will benefit from. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting as well because uh, when we talk fifth freedom, I mean, if you can, if anybody wants to listen to all our episodes, our sixty-six episodes, <clears throat> I'm not sure you want to do that. We have some listeners that attempt this. Uh, we we talk a lot about fifth freedom related to Emirates. We talked a little bit, of course, about the fifth freedoms that some of the U.S. airlines are doing in the Pacific. The airline that does a lot of fifth freedom that we've talked a bit about is Singapore Airlines. Actually, they do. They are Frankfurt. New York. They have some, I think they do to Auckland to Melbourne or something. They have something also in South, South Africa, I think. Cobus, uh, please correct us if I'm wrong. I, I was l- recently looking a route to go to, where was it? To go to Asia. Uh, I'll be in uh, Scandinavia. And interestingly, from uh, Stockholm, they do Stockholm, Moscow, Moscow, Singapore. Really? There's no direct... They have a stopover in huh. in uh, in uh, in Moscow, meaning there's another fifth freedom there. I, I I mean, it's interesting how much we don't talk about them. Yeah, I know pretty. that Malaysia uh, Malaysian do some as well. There's some interesting ones like is it Cape Town, Buenos Aires, or something like that. I think so. I like those. I I, I think that those are neat. That you see a random, you know, some a, a, an airline that sh- that has no business being in this part of the world, which is rather nice. The one, the one I want to do is Air New Zealand from London to LA. Yes, that's a very popular one and actually very yeah. reasonably priced is why I look at it all the time. Yeah, Wrong, they have these, uh, uh, alliance these, for me. Yeah, that's always this issue, right? They have these uh, seats thing where, you know, you can sleep uh, in the economy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't remember the name of it now because we've talked about it many times as well. I mean, I really want to try yeah. them. Delivery is amazing. Yeah. Um, so currently for reference, uh, so Singapore Airlines has uh, 21 380s, uh, the Expecting three more. Qantas as 12, Lufthansa as 14, BA 12. We said that BA was maybe looking into acquiring more. Will they be on the secondary market? I mean, exact these airplanes that are coming off the market. A few of Singapore just came off. We we have rumors of uh, low-cost airlines thinking about them. Yep. Uh, there's rumors of Asian airlines thinking about them. There's rumors of BA thinking about them. But the ones from Emirates will come off the market as well, and the listeners have to, to do something with those aircraft. Air France as 10, Etihad as 10, Korean Air as 10, Qatar as nine and one in order so there will be 10 for them uh, uh, as well also that to say that the books are still not great for uh for the it's really emirates that makes the aircraft survive airbus will keep the production going at least for 10 years the rate will be six aircraft a year they went up to 12 this year they're going to be eight in 2019 and then they go down to six per it's year which much, is it? no but at least you know it's going on right yeah it, it those numbers also show how much of an out liar Emirates is with this program. You know, 100, 101 already versus what did you say the most, the second most was 18? Uh, Singapore Airlines with uh, 21. 21. Delivery. I mean, come on. It's basically the <laughs> the Emirates A380. It, it's, <laughs> yes, you should buy is. the program and just... But which, which comes back to your point, I promise you guys we're going to move off this topic, but it's fascinating, which to your point where you were saying earlier that they didn't go for the 380 plus is very puzzling because you'd say... The 380 Plus was really kind of gesture from Airbus. Everything they do with the 380 is to satisfy Emirates. Yeah, so I'm not I, saying everything, and, and but most of it. When you see right? those numbers, you can understand why. Yeah, of course. So you, you're like, okay, so they, they build this aircraft that has, it's not a Neo because I think the fuel efficiency was like 4%. So it's yeah. not that great. They, they added a little bit winglets and stuff. It was more about cramping more people in it, so removing the big staircase. And, and, and maybe Emirates decided that they'd rather have 
the current staircase because it's better looking or mm-hmm. something. And they don't need to add more people because now that they've actually released uh, 380s with two classes, so they let go of the first class in some of their routes, maybe they're figuring that a two-class 380 is cramped enough and they don't need the, – the economics work with that current template. They don't need to add, to add even more seats. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, they clearly know what they're doing. Yeah. So the 747, how is it faring? You know, uh, we mourn its death every single episode. (laughs) And I'm glad to say that we are, we've been doing it a little bit prematurely because UPS have just firmed up an order for 14. Granted, they are freighters, but they are 14 747 or 748s. Uh, which is great. And they've added some 767 freighters to the mix as well. But 14 is enough to keep that, that line going for a lot longer. When we talked about this last episode, the numbers that were coming off the line and the, the speed at which airlines were retiring them on the back of our conversation about there being no more in the US. And, and that made me nervous. And so this is in some wonderful news. I still haven't flown on a 748. I, I really want to, but again, wrong alliance. Yeah, that's the issue. I mean, uh, we were talking back and forth, Alex, at the beginning of this year. I haven't flown yet, which is, you know, we're second week of February. It has happened to me for a long time that I haven't flown, but again, it's on purpose, as I told you guys. But I have a lot of flights coming up. As usual, probably, you know, 70% of my long haul flights are to Asia. And uh, most of the deals that I found currently, and they're great deals to Asia, are on SkyTeam. So a lot it's of Canada, Air France, even Delta is pretty good to the US right now, if, if, although someone like Norwegian makes more sense in terms of pure price-wise. My main alliance is Star Alliance. I've been betting on that alliance for the past six, seven years. I was on SkyTeam back then. I was, I was the highest level, and then I completely switched. Since recently, two, three years, I'm on One World, and I haven't got lucky to get into that thing where basically my gold is insured until 2020. So I don't have to fight about gold this right. year, which is why you know I'm only going to go for One World, meaning BA or Cathay, if they are good in terms of pricing. I'm not going to go otherwise. No. And uh, Emirates, but Emirates, you know, I'm okay to let it slip to silver. I'm, I'm always been between silver and gold in the past. Uh, 20, yeah, so seven years. Oh, wow. wow. Seven, eight years. Oh, God, more than I thought, actually. Meaning I can't do three, four, five alliances, no. right? And, and I was thinking, I was telling Alex, it was like, should I move away from Star and rebuild on SkyTeam? Because again, all the best deals I'm finding are always on SkyTeam. Uh, maybe because they, they do not serve Asia as well as the others. Is Maybe that's why they're so aggressive into offering deals. I don't know. Many people say they're the lesser of the three alliances, but I, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, I've seen, I think they're increasing their capacity as a as a group, which is always going to help. But I've, I've also seen really strong deals to certain cities that's not Japan over sort of the next six months. Like unbelievably, I've never seen them so low. And on BA, mm-hmm. Cathay, Qantas, all those guys. So there's yeah. something... Going on, and I wonder if it's anything to do with Norwegian going into the market and Scoot announcing more and more European routes. That there's price pressure there, which of course is only a good thing for us as consumers. There's even a one new airline that is called Air Belgium. I don't remember now. Uh, there used to be an airline, I think, 
chartered, they went into bankruptcy, somebody bought the name back. They're going to open, I think, Brussels to Hong Kong. Mm. So we have all these new airlines going to, to Asia. Is there overcapacity? Is there a price war? There's a currently a price war in the US because all the big airlines have announced that they are increasing their capacity, which for the first time in years have had the shareholders a bit uh, jittery. Yeah, yeah. We're not, yeah. You saw some stocks going down in the past two weeks. I mean, it's not a crash or anything, but uh, although the Dow is not doing great in the past yeah. few days. I don't know. Are we close to another crisis i don't know i think you're right it's more a shift towards this long haul low cost gradually entering the market i was looking for a fare to singapore for the first time on google flights i saw norwegian appearing mm-hmm. i was like oh wow and they're, they're very cheap they are very, they're cheap. very cheap they are very cheap they keep screwing up my google flights results actually no matter where <laughs> i look because you're like oh my goodness uh, it's it's orders of magnitude cheaper than the everybody else. And of course, you you have that one bar graph which represents the lowest price. And then and you go in and everybody else is, is way higher. Not that I wouldn't fly on Norwegian, but you know. Yeah. The, the only problem I find on uh, Google Flight is that you cannot ask Google Flight to memorize a specific subset of airlines you want to search to. You can do it if you want, but every single time you have to go select by alliance then you can remove some of the airlines. So I will admit on this show that when I do, I usually remove all the Chinese airlines. I remove Air India, although I'm hearing in Glucode, uh, at Glucode on Twitter, will soon be on our show. He has great stuff to talk about about the airline industry. So he's invited. I think he flew once or twice Air India. The Dreamliner they've got from London is not bad. But again, they are airlines I just don't want to fly. <laughs> so you, you for that, it's still not completely flexible, but we are outliers. We are outliers, and and it is getting better and better. I like that Norwegian is put, and the others to an extent, but mainly Norwegian, just because they're the biggest and the baddest so far. That they are putting this pressure on so many yeah. of the incumbents on these otherwise, you know, sort of oligopical. That's not a word. I just made up that word, but you know what I mean. Like, there's <laughs> what is the word? Maybe it is oligopical. Well, yeah, maybe. It anyway. Is. Uh, we're going to get lots of angry letters and tweets about that. Letters. Has anyone ever written us a letter? But it's good. No, I think I think this is yet. this is actual challenger economics at work, which is exactly what it's yeah. supposed to do. Yeah. By the way, Google Flights, we said a few episodes ago that they have this uh, beta, uh, the new version of Google Flights. Google, if somebody from Google is listening, why do I have to opt in and every single time I go yeah, there? Can I just not have that's it? That's a great point. <laughs> I like it. I don't need no, to go back to the old version every time. Great. There's this explore thing. So for instance, now you can say, I want to depart from these six airports in Europe and I'm going to go to Asia and I want to go in business class. Yeah. And they're going to show you all your fare and then you can zoom in into Google Maps, which are the fares. There, by the way, that's a little trick for you guys. If you do that kind of, of trips, if you're lucky enough to be able, oh, can I go anywhere and I have one week for holidays, for instance. There, you cannot remove airlines, as in you can only opt in or out from the three alliances. So what you should do, you don't look at the explore. You go on a normal search and you do five airports to Asia. You choose your airlines there. So you remove or add whatever. And then you go to explore and then you can actually get only the subset of airlines with all the possible routes you can go to with. And it works pretty cool if you are in a market for, I don't know, uh, one week of holidays in Asia, one week of holidays in South America, you can just say, I want to go to South America. These are the five, six, seven airports I want to yeah. go to. And it's closer to Matrix now. It's it's so good. And I, we're trying to plan our Easter vacation at the moment. And it's just been an absolute godsend. Although the shortcomings that you, that you mentioned, they are 
beyond annoyances, and I think that they they limit some of the functionality for people like us that are you know slightly more quote unquote power users. But that said, I got handed a travel budget recently, and of course, I love a challenge like that. And I ended <laughs> up using Matrix to find a phenomenal deal over Google Flights because I was able to search. Again, you're kind of going into ultra power user mode, but I could find mixed class fare, multi-city fares quickly and easily. And I got a ridiculous deal, which I'll tell you guys about probably after I do it. Yeah. It's pretty spectacular. But somebody, I saw a thread recently where someone was like, oh, I hate Google flights. I'm like, no, then you're, you, you don't know what you're doing because it's by far the best. It's like you said, it's not enough, especially for power users. I think matrix is still. I mean, it's obscure if you've never done it. You're like, what am I supposed to do here? Uh, Plus, you cannot cannot book. Oh, yeah. There's a Google Chrome extension, which is called Book on Matrix or something like that. I I will put the name in the show notes, where when you have done your matrix search and you arrive at a page which shows you the actual fare, then... What you can do usually is either try to replicate that on Google Flights or any, or call a, a travel agent. But this button will attempt to find the exact same deal you have on that page on one of the OTAs online. It's pretty well done. It, it's it's not able to succeed every time because some of these fares probably in Matrix are super obscure and you really need to call the airline to actually make them possible. But this tool gets them 80% of the time. It's really well done. Uh, I think it's called Booker Matrix if you look it up on the Chrome extension uh, store. I've, I haven't actually used it. Um, I actually forgot that it existed until you just mentioned it. Because it was kind of a pain in the butt to book this, uh, this fare that fair. I found, but I got it in the end. So, and Google Flights is introducing more and more features as we go on. Two more that were just announced, a part of the rollout of the new version of Google Flights. One, uh, it will not only show you the delays, you know, sometimes you have this, you have these things as this flight is usually delayed by 30 minutes. Yeah. This now, they have enough data, they will start predicting delays. They will tell you based on historical data, current weather conditions, et cetera, they will say, okay, this flight, there's a probability of being delayed. You know, it's amazing when you think about it, yeah. especially if you, I don't know, short connections or stuff like that. At least you know what you're getting into. Uh, if you if you buy a flight with, with delays production, they will also, once you've booked the trip, and if you use Google Trips, which I don't really use anymore, to be honest with you, because for me, it's not TripIt yet, et cetera. But it will get there one day. This will keep you appraised not yet, but soon enough, could you appraised about the delays that the airline might not have announced, the airport might not have announced, but that Google, with all the data it has, mm. say, you know what? You might have a delay. Yeah, which is fantastic, especially if you're looking at separate ticket transfers. Non-protected yeah, transfers. Non- yeah, exactly, which I do a lot of, especially yeah. if you're kind of going, you know, we look at all of the uh, the premium cabin deals basically anywhere that's not London because we get so skanked on on uh, all of the made up fees. That's where you would want that if you're going to fly nip, you know, over to you know Dusseldorf or whatever on EasyJet. And if you know, hey, this flight on average is 47 minutes delayed and you've, you've left yourself 62 minutes to, to, to do the thing, then you're not going to take that flight, are you? That's invaluable information. The other valuable information that uh, Google Flight will now show you is more exact amenities. So especially in the US where... You guys have these new uh, basic economy fares. They will clearly tell you that, okay, you cannot change your flight. You cannot bring a luggage yeah. on board, et cetera, et cetera. See, by the way, United is already getting a backlash from its customer about their basic economy and also from their crew who have to explain to people. Oh, who have no. both, you know, people come 
with assumptions of economy. They bought basic economy because probably the UX of the website told them it's a cheaper fare. And then only when they arrive in the aircraft do they realize that this and this and that is not authorized for them. And thus you have the crew. So you have the union. One of the unions for United, I think, for the crew has uh, written a letter, an open letter to United telling them, look, we want continue this. But it's interesting that customers are giving it a backlash. We always say in this show that people are very press sensitive, but there's to something a point. going on, right? Clearly, to, to a, a point. point. Yeah. I mean, we, again, Google Flights has been great about servicing this information. And also, putting seat pitch in is one thing, but telling you, is this good or is this bad, is another thing, which they do. They, they you know, when I'm looking at flights to Japan, they say, you know, BA seat pitch is 76 centimeters average. But then you look at JAL, 84 centimeters, and then it says right next to it, this is above average. Yeah, And and that context is important for people that, that don't know, is, is 76 good? Is 84 good? good you know, and it just helps helps you with the, you know, to give you enough information to, to feel comfortable to make a, a, an informed choice. The two things, and then we'll move on. We, we, we drag on on news today because, I know, we like chatting. We have a lot talk. We have, we have, that's what we do all day. We just book flights, Alex and myself. Uh, <laughs> We, it's true. We, uh, <laughs> uh, what I really would like to see on, on Google Flights and on others, because I like competition, like Momondo, I like all the others. Uh, Skyscanner is one that is I really love, uh, by the way, as well, because it shows the amenities super well. I would love these guys to not only show me the fact that, oh, this is the average pitch and this is below or above average, like you just mentioned, but why not the actual seat map? Because this is readily available on, on, on a website. What about pictures of the seat? Because usually I do that. I will then Google image to say, okay, what is this aircraft? So I, I was looking, coming back to our story we were saying earlier, I'm looking for flights to go to Asia. Garuda is really the Asian arm of Sky Team, uh, based in Indonesia. It's a five-star Skytrax airline. So they really they are really solid. they game, haven't they? Yeah, I've never flown them. I'm really curious to fly them. They are from London, the longest flight you can take from London, because London to Jakarta is 14 hours and 30 minutes. So I want to do that one day, <laughs> just to have to say I've done the longest flight from London. I didn't know how it looked like inside, right? So you find these deals, and then you're like, okay, so what is exactly the economy class? Right. How does business class look right. like? What? And then if I do stop in Jakarta, and then we go on to, let's say, Bangkok, uh, and there's a 3.30, I don't remember now, right now, but... What does that look like? Uh, is that an old aircraft? Is that these are information that by a simple Google search you can find. So I would love that any of these guys, Skyscanner is very close as well, that they display you more uh, pictures of what's going to happen. Not only like information, but also pictures. Hey, this is the city you're going to yeah. have, or you're probably going to have because if they don't change the aircraft, la la la. I mean, the usual. Yeah, I guess the challenge is with an airline like uh, maybe BBA is not a great example, but Delta perhaps. Delta, you know, you you could have or or United with their Polaris, quote unquote. You 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 never know. <laughs> like, are you going to get the the new Delta yeah. One suite, or are you going to get one of the older business class suites? So you know, it's it's hard to to make that choice. I think the same with there's some BA product as well. Like the new first class is only available on the seven eight Correct. seven nine, not on the seven eight seven eight. So I think it's probably quite difficult so that you're not in a way, misrepresenting what's available. They could do like the same way they do for delays. They could have likelihood. They have access of the registration numbers of the aircraft that has done X route for the past 
X number of years. So they know that mm-hmm. 80% of the time, this is the aircraft they're going to put. They're going to show you anyway uh, a seat map. They're going to tell you it's above or below average. So I understand what you're saying because you're right, but telling us probably yes. Another airline that, and we really drag on this one, another airline that I've, I found a, a great fare to go to Asia to is Gulf Air. Oh. Warring Alliance, never flown them. They have older uh, products. Right now, there's a fare from London to Manila, a thousand pounds in business class return, uh, stopping in Bahrain. How? So I was like, "What? How? How is that possible?" So, and I was not looking to go to Manila, but I looked into it because I'm like, I found this fair was doing another research, and I'm like, "Okay, what is this?" And they have three thirties, and they have two versions. Uh, if you go on their own, and that's crazy, on their own website of Gulf Air, they only have pictures of one of their uh, long haul plane. It's a two 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 thing. Right. But Skyscanner was telling me it's one to one. I'm like, it's not two to two. There must be another version, which after a little bit of research, you find that there's another version with even better seats. The old, but the it's one to one. So you have more privacy. Everybody has AIL access, for instance, right? right? So Skyscanner will tell you one to one, but then could they not say, uh, here's a link to what it looks like one to one? We'll do it anyway. We'll Google it, image search. Uh, I think it's just added information for competitors. Anyway, I think we dropped. No, no, I think you're right. I think <laughs> I think we're 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 coming into a really exciting and interesting period for this type of thing. And Google are just so far ahead of the pack. I think, in my opinion, uh, we mentioned a few wow well, a year ago maybe uh, the the startup called Root Happy. They were providing uh, amenities, so the size of the seats, whether or not you have meals when you have you have a USB to OTAs, and they just got uh, acquired by a company called ATPCO. It's an airline-owned company actually that distributes fares and data. It's old. I think it's more than maybe 50 years or something company, but they have a new CEO and uh, they are looking into doing stuff that is more innovative. So congrats on these guys and Ruth Happy because this is exactly what the airline industry needs. The old discussion we had in the past 10 minutes, Mm. us passengers knowing more about what to expect before even entering the plane. Absolutely. Uh, Back on the 380 a little bit. Have you seen the app, 380 app? No. So Airbus, that shows how much iconic in a way this plane is, Airbus, not an airline, Airbus has released an app called iFly A380. It's available for iPhone. I'm not certain for Google Play. Guys, look it up and let us know. So you can search for, you know, I want to go to Florida and they will tell you whether or not there's a 380 on that route. If there is, (laughs) it will show you the route and it will also allow you to book. I'm probably certain though that once you book, you're being offloaded probably to to the airline. Still, and you can, if you are in a 380, you have an augmented reality section. You are actually flying. You can see stuff around you. I've not been able to try it yet. Maybe, Alex, since you're flying with Emirates to Dubai in, uh, you said, next week or in two weeks, maybe you should download it on your iPhone and test it while you're in the air to see what actually happens with this uh, AR thing. I will thing. try it. That's very cool. I had not heard of that. <laughs> will you be flying first class? Uh, no, I'm in, I'm in business class, although I've... I set the alert to tell me if they release any seats because I think I have just enough miles where I might be able to do it again. I was addicted (laughs) after my last uh, experience showering on an airplane. I was consolidating, I'm still consolidating old pictures of mine that I've taken with my phone. Actually, I'm talking about phone pictures from back in the day. I think the first first ever flight in... uh, Emirates first class for me was in 2010, uh, maybe May 2010 or something like that. So a long time ago. And I didn't realize it's it's amazing how it's the same, but not the same at all anymore. So they've kept the same philosophy. And some people I know don't like you know the gold and whatever, but 
it's amazing how because I've been you know lucky enough to do it several times that I I saw it was evolving, but seeing this picture from eight years ago showed me how much actually it has changed. So it, yeah, it's it's it really has it really has, and it's still an excellent product. It really is, and I, we've talked about this a million times. But the experience end to yeah. end is is what's so good. I I, I, I like them. I think that if you were to choose, like I think like you did last time, if you were to choose one upgrade, the best upgrade is on the way from Dubai to London, because then you have that full-on experience with a car, with the lounge, the, uh, especially in Concourse A. I mean, I'm not saying that you know the other way doesn't work, but I think it's really because that's their home hub. Mm-hmm. So that's where the experience is the most integrated of them all. I, I think so too. And you really get a sense of how it can be done. It should be done, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> So you're not going to fly the new 777 first class. It's still only from Geneva and Brussels. We know that it's going to be flying from London, from Stansted in June. Yes. I said that, I think, during the episode with uh, Will. Uh, Sam Shui, very famous uh, YouTuber uh, for everything product. By the way, Sam, really, I love your video. If you ever listen to this show and you listen to this, I know you're not going to like criticism, but you have to make better sound. The sound of your videos is like sometimes you're just taken with your iPhone. That doesn't work. Yeah. Anyway, he's, he's lucky to fly all the best first-class products in the world, a little bit like uh, one mile at a time. Lucky, and he's um, been filming his experience in the new first-class. That's the first video when I see the takeoff with the virtual windows. And you can see that the virtual windows are pretty darn good it's because there's no flickering. unbelievable there's no- it's unbelievable i've never seen i could not get over it when i saw what he'd posted even it's amazing. even it went like and there's clearly just a fraction of a second delay but i think that's from his camera not from the i yeah. could not get over it and you know i had high expectations but this just surpassed them it's oh. it's, it's absolutely incredible <laughs> we have to do it Availability is still very low. I'm checking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Assessing uh, is more, more accurate. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, because I'm I, I'm not going to pay for first class Emirates. I love you guys at Emirates, but unless you offer it to me, I'm not going to pay for it. But uh, like Alex, you know, when there is a, a possibility of having a budget to fly business class by a client that I can use miles, but availability from Geneva is super low because I think you know what's going on. There's a lot of Alex, lots of Paul, lots of Sam, and lots of others. AV geese that are all going flocking to Geneva and Brussels and trying this out. That's why there's never availability these days. Yeah. We'll, we'll do it. I have a hunch that although I've been flying Emirates for far longer than Alex, Alex will do that one first. That's an interesting uh, assertion. I don't know if it's going to come true, but we'll see. <laughs> That'd be nice. Hey? <laughs> A few reviews on iTunes first. All them five stars. I thank you guys. First uh, from, oh my God, all these names on, on, on uh, let me. Uh, yeah, the first one is easy. Joe and Peter uh, from Sweden. Excellent, informative and entertaining banter by two hosts banter. working in perfect harmony. We're in perfect oh, harmony. Nice. <laughs> by far the best freaking fire pod out there. Thank you so much. That's really kind of you. Then L. Jeff, I'm not sure how you pronounce. I'm really sorry. Uh, from the UK. That's a really cool one. Uh, hi, guys. I've been meaning to write a review for a long time. I really enjoy listening to this, especially when I have jet lag and can't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I am an Englishman working for ANA as a FO on the 7.6 based in Narita. He's based in Narita. That's amazing. We love you already. Uh, I find all your material so relevant and informative as it's my current theater of operation. I still need to go to Ishigaki. So Alex, yes, you, see you do. <laughs> I also feel often like I'm walking in your footsteps. At Christmas, I came home at business window seat at ANA. Use the same lounges. <laughs> What's even more hilarious is that I was listening to that very podcast talking about all this in the limousine bus to Haneda. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks for the work, guys. Love it. Happy New Year. He just flew a standby on a 350 from Cafe. And like you said, so quiet. And I love the cameras. Even though I mostly have the best seat in the house, I still found myself watching them. We love having people from the initial listing yes. and telling us that it's, it's actually, a real honor, that's, actually. Yeah, it is. It, it is. We have also an amazing email from Matt. I mentioned Matt a few, well, what is it, six, seven episodes ago. He's a doctor and uh, he's, he's, going, he's going to fly BA for the first time since 1998. Wow. What would you say to him if you were to fly BA for the first time since 1998? You know, What's the advice to someone would you say? Alan? I don't know, honestly, because I don't, I don't think I flew BA much in the 90s. I've only really started flying them a lot in the last... 10 years. So I, I, I don't know what, I'm sure you will find a, a marked improvement in what you, what you can remember. I would be very interested to hear what it was like in the late nineties. Uh, yeah. I was about to say that to Matt, uh, you, you should tell us, send me back an email. I mean, don't go out, you've to do it, but it would be interesting to see, uh, do you feel a huge difference? I mean, of course there's a lot of difference in the aviation industry, but do you feel that as a brand, it has, it gives you something more, something yeah. less that your memories. I would love that. He says, he says <laughs> that I love. I want to have the chance to curse Alex Cruz myself. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what difference he's going to see. I would say temper your expectations, but I don't think that that's fair on PA because you'll see a pretty substantial improvement. Just don't compare it to other premium carriers because, I, again, I don't think that's a hugely fair comparison. He's also written a very interesting article about the alcohol culture of flying. Uh, I'm not going to go there in this episode, but Matt, we will go there because it's a fascinating. I know that you are, Alex, I think a trustee at Drink. I, I was, so, yeah. For, for So this, this is a, a topic you also understand besides the little banter we have about people getting gin and tonics at uh, BA's lounges at 8 a.m. here in London. It's a fascinating article about not only what it actually does to you as, you know, alcoholic in the air, but about the culture of it. And I think we should address that in one episode because I think it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, I think so too. It would be really interesting to hear, uh, you know, from uh, medical professionals as well. And, and uh, a aviation a medical professional. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Another review on uh, iTunes, five star uh, by Gretchen Ann Spinrad from the US. Uh, believe it or not, I hit upon his podcast because I had a fear of flying. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Honestly, I travel long haul a few times a year, often solo with my two young children. Deciding that I wanted to learn more about airline travel, I went to look for a podcast and loved this immediately. Paul and Alex come from a similar culture, mishmashed, and I grew up. They have a very dry humor. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and prove that a plane does not have to fall out of the sky every time you hit a turbulence. No. I mean, if you can fly as much as they do and still love it, I got nothing to complain about keep it going guys thank you honestly that's one of the best yeah and i mean and i'll tell you i don't think i've really talked about this on the podcast yeah you have a history about that but, yeah go but, on you know perhaps we'll we'll dive into it in more detail in a future episode but gretchen i i used to have a crippling fear of flying for almost 10 years 
just awful. Just, I, I couldn't even get on a plane for for a very long time. So, and I, I can empathize entirely what it, what it feels like, and that you're that you're working to get over it is is admirable because it's it's not fun when you are feeling like that. So I I admire your courage for for tackling it head on and and not um, not just not flying because then I think you. You you miss the, all of the joys that are available to you all over the world, but perhaps uh, in a future episode we can dive into that a little bit more and unpick it because there's a lot of people that suffer from it as I did, and we all have uh, have our different reasons. But it's uh, it's definitely a topic that I think we should explore a bit more. Yeah, we have mentioned it a few times in uh, past episodes about the courses that some of the airlines offer. I think we mentioned both the one from BA and the one from Swiss. There are others, obviously. I think it would be nice also to have someone from the industry telling us and how do they do these courses, mm-hmm. maybe what do they tell. Interesting enough, I know quite a few people actually that uh, were not afraid. I'm not afraid at all, for instance, but became afraid. And there was no like, you know, you missed a plane that ended up crashing. I know one friend that had that, and I understand that he is really now kind of fearful, but that's really like an exception. Most of the people just over time became fearful, whereas they weren't. Is it because they became old? Is it becomes I don't know, but there are psychological dynamics in place Absolutely. that I, I have no idea how to explain myself that I think would be very interesting to dive into. So it's not only people that are f- afraid and then because they have someone helping them, they become less afraid or not afraid anymore. It's also the opposite happens. I find it very curious. Yeah, I, I do too. It's one of those things that that is uh, grips you very powerfully. And I think there's so many different, and this I learned through going through a process of, of trying to fix it myself, is that there's a lot of triggers and ingredients and components that are very personal to us that may be not the root cause, but just how it is manifested. Uh, and it's fascinating. It really is. Yeah, we will dedicate. I know that we are always promising you that we will dedicate episode on X and Y topics. It's hard because we have busy lives, as you know, but we, we always aim and we will aim this year at having a few guests that are very, you know, different mm. from just two AV geeks geeking out on, on airplanes. One last uh, mention, it was a Twitter DM by Ray, Ray Linham. Hey guys, really enjoying your podcast. I'm a BA cabin crew. <laughs> if you need any input from this angle, first of all, we really uh, love that we have a BA crew yeah. listening to us. Of course, he makes us feel bad for the few times we actually criticize BA. <laughs> well, you know, you and I talked about this offline. I think it's been very, very rare that we have been disappointed or felt let down by the soft product on BA Correct. in the air. You know, we have our, our opinions on some of the um, the hard product choices that the airline have made. but Or the management or some strategic yeah, decisions. Yeah, exactly. But, never, but rarely the people themselves. Especially in the air, the, the frontline team rarely let us down. So thank you, Ray, for your hard work. And actually, I, I'll, we'll talk about it later, but I had a great experience on a very quick trip I did last weekend that really reinforces that opinion. And he's trained to operate on 747. We're very jealous. 777, Dreamliner, 319, 20, 21, 20, Neo, 21, Neo. So basically, you know, we want your life, yeah, right? Thank so you cool. so much. That's so cool. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. We really do love to have people from the industry as well listening to us. Maybe some of the things I say are completely wrong. I don't know. <laughs> um, Back to the 380 again. So Ben Schlappig, uh, one mile at a time, as a trial and tested the new Singapore suite cabin. It's by far the most spacious first-class product in the world. You know, that's the one that has a bed and a seat and the TV. Yes. And the TV is like almost like your living room TV that has an arm. If you're in bed, it's in front of you. If you're on the seat, you can swivel it 
towards you. It's <laughs> it looks insane. Aren't the, the pictures are just staggering, aren't they? Just yeah. just extraordinary. He still says, however, that uh, so for him it's very close to Etihad's uh, apartment, which we haven't flown either. No. Uh, he's really lucky, uh, and he says Etihad's apartment is a more efficient version of Singapore new suite. So although he really loves the Singapore uh, suite, I think he's still preferring Etihad's version of it. He has two gripes or three. First of all, the bed is really hard. Maybe that's just a new product thing. Yeah. Uh, it says that the cabin, that's something that Alex, uh, at least me, I don't know about you, but I, I'm very, I'm a warrior for that. Uh, the cabin also gets really hot and the suite has no individual air vents. And especially when you see that what Emirates does, that you have like, you know, all this fancy touchscreen, you know, temperature and simply having an air vent. I like air vents. And for me, that's a miss. Not having air vents, in, it's a miss. And he, for him, it gets really hot. So probably for me, I'm, I'm going to boil to death in this. Yeah, it does get a bit frustrating, doesn't it? it, it and we've we've lamented the the removal of individual air vents as almost, they're, they're almost... Uh, an antique. <laughs> you rarely see them anymore <laughs> on modern airliners. And I think that that's a little bit frustrating because like you say, there's almost this cultural side of it where, was it the Japanese airlines that just tend to have the cabin really, really warm? Yeah, they do. They do. Every time I fly them, I find them <clears throat> really, really warm. Frustrating. Frustrating. <laughs> I can't get comfortable. I really can't. Uh, and the last thing you mentioned, and I think that's a bit awkward, is so the, the chair where you eat swivels. And the position to have dinner or lunch uh, with the tray table open, which is at that size, is not more tray table. It's like a, <laughs> like a, something back from the Middle Ages, so big. But anyway, uh, you have a view of the passenger on the other side also eating. He says you can close the door, but if you can close the door, then they have to open it every time. It does not, it's not very efficient for service. So you end up leaving it open. Yeah. And I get it. But I'm not sure. I mean, again, look... Guys, we're talking about one of the best products in the world for sure. So here it's not about criticizing, but it's true that having a direct view when you see that Emirates and others are doing this thing where you really feel on your own private jet thing yeah. or it's bizarre to having to look at someone else when you eat, it, when you have so much space. It does seem like a little bit of a shortcoming, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But anyway, so uh, Airbus is pretty confident that they will now sell more 380s. Do you think it will happen? No. <laughs> Because if, if it was going to happen, it would have already happened by now. Surely. Yeah. Eric Schultz, which is, uh, the, I think, the head of sales and marketing for, for, for Airbus, says that one of the few that hasn't left the boat. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Airbus, wow. Sorry, guys. I mean, <laughs> he says that uh, now that the dealers meet me, Emirates signals the market that the product is here to stay, that uh, there's confidence in the product, and that other airlines should buy it. Yeah, that sounds like uh, the words of a PR person. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah. I, you know what? I would love other airlines to buy it. Will they? I don't know. I, don't, I just don't. Th- not unless they cut the same kind of deal and then you have to question the economic viability of the of the company if they're going to be doing that. And especially with so many poised to arrive in the secondary market, uh, an aircraft that is 12 years old is not a very old aircraft. Mm-hmm. BA surely can make their 747s fly for 25,000 years more. So they probably would actually be very happy to simply take, you know, other market Emirates aircrafts and just use them themselves. It makes much more maybe economical sense. Uh, yeah. There's, again, I think there's more to this than, than meets the eye. 
BA, IAG, the parent's company, was supposed to buy Nikki. That's one of the news we announced in the previous yes. episode. But at least that one, we said there was a bit of a, a quick pro quo about which court was supposed to handle the thing and ended up that the Berlin court ruled that the bankruptcy proceedings should happen in Austria uh, rather than Germany, which means that the deal by AEG, presumably for Vueling, uh, was voided. Yep. And the Austrian court went uh, for Lauda Motion, which actually is the name of the company from Niki Lauda, that is buying back the airline. So IAG lost, Niki won, and apparently Lauda Motion will be the name of the new company. Well, this is great. I think that it's returning to its at least spiritual owner, creator, is is rather, rather wonderful. You know, we talked about this ad nauseum in the previous episode, this sort of land grabbing and consolidation of airline ownership in Europe. I, I, I can't see that as a good thing, ultimately. No. I mean, we know that the US has reached a point with so much consolidation. Uh, Europe has a very fragmented market, but it's also due to its uh, borders. What's the right equilibrium? I'm not sure. It's certain. And we said that as well in a few episodes, that Central Europe is basically owned by Lufthansa. (laughs) And it's it's nice to have a bit of competition, whether, of course, here it's for independent airline like uh, Niki Lauda's one or from non-major airline it, it's we say it all the time it's nice to have competition it is it is people. as consumers it's it's very very important otherwise prices slowly start to creep up and you lose as a consumer yeah exactly i, I have you seen by the way that they're talking about low low cost that uh, norwegian has acquired its air operator certificate in argentina yeah this is they're really going for it aren't they yeah. I don't know why Argentina. I, I guess in, in South America, it's the next most logical place after Brazil, which is, I think, got quite a, a saturated market. So it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing there. We are in this show very pro-Norwegian. I mean, we we know their shortcomings. We're not saying it's perfect, but uh, I want to see them conquer the world. And I want others to do this. One I've never heard about before was called French Blue. It's a way smaller airline. Uh, they do Paris to La Réunion. Uh, and uh, they have they had to rename themselves because they're entering the US market. And uh, uh. JetBlue <laughs> says that it's too close. French Blue, JetBlue, I don't know. So they didn't want to go to court, probably because they don't have the means to do. I mean, they didn't want to you know, pay attorneys, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So they just rebranded two years after being born the entire airline as French B. And they're going to open uh, San Francisco to Thai with a 350 900. So that's kind of a fifth freedom uh, yeah, route in a way. Uh, yeah, good luck to them. I like, you know, it's nice to have these airlines that we never hear about opening these kind of routes. And this is what the, these new aircrafts are allowing, Dreamliners and 350. It's great. I, well, exactly. And I think it, it suddenly makes those routes a lot more economically viable. So long may it continue as far as I'm concerned. And long may uh, continue French. B, not to be confronted with Jet B. Uh, so, since we're in the US, Bombardier, the other news. <laughs> We were not wrong on this one. We were just discussing what would happen. Remember, I was saying that Delta was thinking of offloading a CS uh, a series to uh, Aeromexico because otherwise he didn't want to pay the 250, whatever yes. percent was. But all this has gone out of the window because the US uh, International Trade Commission just said unanimously that Boeing has no reason to complain yep. and there's not going to be such a thing as a uh, tariff. Great news, no? Yeah, it's fantastic news and it's very sensible 
sensible news. Again, we talked about this in the last episode that uh, we shouldn't be surprised, or it was interesting that they actually did something that the U.S. government imposed this this tariff, and that they had a a bark and a bite to go with it. But also, how quickly these things have happened. Usually, government uh, intervention takes a long, long time. This was, yes, there's a tariff. No, there's a tariff in the in the space of just a few weeks. It's a slap in the face of Boeing. It is, but they actually seen it coming. Do they think they had a shot? I'm not sure. What What is really interesting is the unanimous decision, probably because Boeing doesn't have anything. They had a 717, which was the MD, what was it, the name of it before? The, they called it 717. Uh, MD-94. Well, there's the MD-8X series, essentially. But yeah, all the way but up. They don't have any product, for the, at least for the CS100. They don't have anything that competes with it. So is that why... I don't know. I don't know. The, 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 I think there it's a bit it's a bit smaller than that, but I I don't know. And then again, we've we've talked about this only because we're we're recanting on the news or at least updating the news. I I, I don't see the, again another land grab. Another, you know, Boeing are in deep talks with Embraer and all of that. So it's just what's available. Let's go get it before the other guy does. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, well yeah. I actually I didn't mention that the other time. It's interesting though to note that fifty percent of the components of a C series are sourced from the US. So it's already a very American aircraft yeah. in a way, which of course then you have the whole thing about the subsidies uh, in Canada. So the inquiry is not over. The same trade commission now has to determine whether or not these subsidies I just mentioned they had caused injury to Boeing because they could still fine Bombardier. They would not put the tariffs because that's gone, but they would still be able to fine Bombardier. This decision hasn't been taken. It's expected uh, this month. Uh, Embraer, since you just mentioned Embraer, Embraer is kind of looking at all this say, hey, guys, we're still here. Yeah, yeah. They, don't want, they don't want to sell to uh, Boeing. Many of the Brazilian ministers came on and said... Embraer is way too much linked with our defense industry. There's no way we're going to let anyone taking it from us. So that's not going to happen. But Embraer has reacted uh, to this whole thing by going, I mean, they all already started going to the World Trade Organization and uh, saying that Bombardier is cheating with its subsidies. And uh, so there is an inquiry which Embraer is leading at the WTO. We know that these things at the WTO take forever. Boeing Airbus has never been That's a common with. tune, isn't it? Yeah. Subsidies this and unfair practices that. It just it just seems – and again, they always seem to fall apart. So uh, this is going to be very interesting to watch. I've made my feelings very clear on this acquisition. I hope it doesn't happen. Interesting to watch. One thing is really fun to watch. Uh, Swiss, I, I know, guys, it's the airline of my country, but they do these videos that I really love. And this time is the CS300, so the bigger version of the C-Series that Swiss just started to fly. Actually, it flies to London, Alex, if you want to try it. Yeah. Uh, they made this video on YouTube. I'll put the link in the show notes when it's flying amongst the Patrouille Suisse over yeah, the Alps so good. at Wengen. It's always amazing to see these. These videos are super well made. They are uh, so like, good. My kids and I absolutely love them. The music choices are always good. The the cinematography is always incredible. What a what a cool project to be part of. 
people know that I kind of like the, the Swiss uh, logo. Of course, it's very reminiscent to the actual flag. Mm. I preferred the one from before, which was square. It was made by Tyler Brule, the Canadian who uh, also um, owns Monocle, a mm. very you know, hipster magazine. So two news about, uh, about branding, about uh, logo design. Uh, the big one is the second one. The first is uh, interesting is in the US, American Airlines is trying to copyright the new logo. I love the, what they had, the, the, the previous one, you know, the the little eagle yes. B thing, uh, the double A, which they did away with. So now they have this big thing that resembles a bit of a wing with an eagle in the middle that is reminiscent of the American flag. Yes. So they were able to trademark it. That's fine. But they're not able to copyright it. And every time they're trying, the corporate office in the US telling them, nope, we're not impressed. It's not distinct enough. It's a, I'm going to quote here, a mere simplistic arrangement of non-projectable elements does not demonstrate the level of creativity necessary to warrant protection. American Airlines is really not happy about that. They keep trying. Do you think they should be copyrighted or do you think it's too bland as a logo? Are we talking about the eagle profile with the blue on the top and the red on the bottom? I am amazed that they're not being allowed to copyright that. I agree. There's a, an article by uh, on Substraction.com by Koivin. It's this very famous blog that talks a little bit of design. He works, I think, at Adobe. And he says exactly what you just said. He says, I, I, I don't get it. I think he has a point. He says, maybe the copyright office should have should hire a designer amongst its team to understand what actually is a logo, what is a design. Because Yeah, uh, I mean, and I, I, I find the world of trademark and copyright utterly confounding. You know, as I've explored it professionally and just out of personal curiosity, trying to find any rhyme or reason to these decisions is really difficult. This is a great example of that. The one thing that they cannot, uh, and that's understandable, that they cannot copyright is because the same office says, the use of the colors of the United States flag are exceedingly common and do not lend themselves to arguments that the work's design choices were especially creative. But it's it's, uh, it's the but still it's the balance of all the elements exactly. coming together. I, perhaps and, I'm mis- again missing something. Me too. I, I'm wondering: Are they trying to to copyright the entire thing, meaning that that eagle design with? the kind of flag behind it, because that's what you see on the tail. Because if it's the only the, the front bit, that's clearly a logo for crying out loud. And I, I understand why it would be able to be copyrighted. And like you said, I mean, I've, all, I've also done some personal research about copywriting some stuff, in, including, by the way, layovers. And uh, it's... It seems it's to not... be up to the discretion of exactly. whichever person you... Yes. You, yes. you, you, you know, you, you happen to come across. Absolutely. That's exactly where I was going. Yeah, it, it seems to be there's no logic in why someone was accepted and the other one was not. It doesn't make any anyway, sense. So in Europe, the new Lufthansa logo. So it's the new livery, new, yeah, logo, yeah. new brand guidelines. They hadn't changed it for, I think, at least 50 years. What do you think? I don't hate it. <laughs> I, I'm sad to see the yellow go. The yellow was such a, a dynamic accent to to the to the logo, to delivery, to the to the brand palette. I was sad to see that go. Other than a little kind of swatch next to the to the front door, door isn't it? Like like, yeah. and, and we're talking like the size of an iPad. Uh, perhaps maybe a little bit bigger. <laughs> it's a little boring, but it's not nearly as bad as people are are complaining about. I think it's very calm and soothing and professional and clean. It, yeah, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I also like it. I had a lot of uh, of quite a few actually of our 
listeners uh, sent me messages in other ways. Uh, I'm going to say hi to Elizabeth because she was really unhappy about that one. They were really unhappy. Uh, I kind of like it. It's very Euro white, you know, kind of mm. the credence of Euro white because it does away with the the belly used to be gray, so now it's white. There's no yellow on the tail anymore. It's only blue. Uh, similar shade of blue, but seemingly not exactly the same. But yeah. and the blue color, which is on the tail, goes up to the part of the belly at the very at the tail at the at the end of the aircraft, which at least on the image of because that's the one they released, the 747-8 looks amazing. Yes. I'm honestly not sure how good that will work on 320s. But oh, that's I a good point. We'll, I hadn't thought about that. And I'm sure they we'll, have. Yeah, I'm sure they have it. Yeah. By the way, they, they, uh, it was uh, not supposed to be released until February 7th. And I think one of the management guys was doing an interview with the press. Was it even the CEO? And on his laptop? Oh, was no. The no, no, no. I didn't hear about that. That's hilarious. <laughs> that was a week before. the. Re- Anyways, Lufthansa had to scramble and release the images, the official images, very quickly uh, as well. So there was an event. There was an event yesterday, two days ago, uh, on, on live stream on Facebook. The color yellow is not fully disappearing because it's still there on the airports for signs, um, I think also on the menus. Yeah. So they, they are keeping that uh, color, but I don't even know why they bothered putting this yellow patch on the No, me the neither. Me neither. I, I, I guess indifference is probably the best word to describe it. <laughs> It's not a natural evolution as, as graceful as Cathay's was, which which retained yeah, I, some elements of the previous livery, but just refined them in a way that was you, you could understand the thinking behind it. By the way, because if you haven't seen it, we need to, to, to stress that the actual logo, which is this bird, which was designed a hundred years ago. Wow. So it's really like the oldest logo for any airline, I think. Uh, it was, uh, what was the designer? Otto Firle, Otto Friedle, I don't remember his name. It was for, not for Lufthansa. Lufthansa was, uh, later creation was from its ancestor, uh, Luftredrei, and then that was put into Lufthansa. Lufthansa was dismantled during the war. Then the current Lufthansa bought the name back to be allowed to use it. And they they bought that logo as well. And that iconic logo of the crane in a circle isn't changing. And I think that I'm glad because this is one of the best logos, not only for airlines, but in history for me, it's a very strong logo. I agree. I'm glad that they've maintained it. The aircraft, the 747, uh, did a tour uh, yesterday, Hamburg uh, to Frankfurt, Munich, uh, Dusseldorf. They did the whole tour of Germany. And I think they sent a 321 with that logo to Paris as well. But I haven't seen pictures yet. So soon enough, it will be all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see it in the flesh. By the way, uh, Lufthansa has gotten five-star on Skytrax. It's now a five-star airline. That's good. We mentioned uh, just earlier that Lufthansa owns Central Europe because Lufthansa Group has yeah. Lufthansa, Austrian, Brussels Airlines, Eurowings, and Swiss. These are the, the things they actually own because then they have their hands in all other stuff as well. Yes. They are doing something that I find uh, pretty um, logical. They are standardizing their fleet, their 320 fleet. So now the whole group is going to buy the same aircraft, so especially for the 320 Neos that are coming up, the exact same aircraft, one single buyer, and then distribute it amongst its airlines. And the only thing that will change, of course, the livery, a little bit of the cabin design, but I mean, the cabin design, the seats will be 
the same. They will have the same cockpit system, the same seats, the same cabin design, the same galleys, the same freight system, the same safety. It makes equipment. total so, sense, doesn't it? It does, right? It makes total sense. And you know, you've heard airlines trying to do it in the past. This sounds like a an actual full consolidation and, and integration. Talking about Airbus, the three twenty one long range LR just had its maiden flight. It's a test flight, of course. That's an aircraft that could change a lot of things, even for us in long haul, right? Yes, it is. And I think it's going to open up more routes to more carriers and introduce more competition. This is this is only a good thing. And I think it's, we talked about this briefly, or at least beat around this particular bush last episode around the single aisle replacements being a focus now that pretty much long haul has been consolidated around a couple of of platforms. So I, this is great. This is I, I'm looking forward to flying on one. I think probably not for a year or two, but uh, it'll be good. Really good. Can do a uh, four thousand nautical miles. So for instance, we can go London to New York easily with it. What what it means? It means that it will open uh, long haul. I mean. 757, 321, the current, but it will even further open long haul to single uh, AL aircraft. Yes. And so, I mean, you're, you're already seeing companies like WOW push the envelope for yep. these, like they're due Keflavik to LA, Keflavik to San Francisco. Which it's crazy. It, That's, by the way, it's just at the limit of its It is. And they're right? often having to stop in places like Edmonton to refuel. But this will make it absolutely doable. Yeah. And uh, Norwegian is actually ordering, I think, at least 30. And Airbus says it's uh, 27% cheaper than uh, the 757. But as we said many times, Boeing doesn't currently truly have anything to compete with the 321. That's why they're thinking about the 797. Again, that's the name everybody gives it because the 757 is a great aircraft, but it's an older design. And the 321 is poised to clearly take a lot of the market. Boeing are going to have to get a move on if they really want to get in on this, otherwise they're going to get left behind. Erlingus is also buying some. Yes. Which makes sense because for them, you know, going to the US. Absolutely. It's perfect. Perfect airplane for that. You know what? The only thing as that's very uh, selfish for me, long haul is synonymous with twin yeah, air, yeah. wide body aircraft. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm also more comfortable. There's a bit more space to walk around. And I mean, if you get stuck behind the uh, the trolley, you know, <laughs> you're going to be there for a while. And there's something about, you know, it's like going into a big ship. Yeah. You know, you're going for so long cool. travel. So you go to a 777. I like Quietly the reassuring. Size. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not going to do the 221, but I mean, and you, you, you said as much. I think Qatar does also Doha to somewhere in Europe with 320s actually mm, or something. Absolutely. Anyway, still in Europe, still in Star Alliance, uh, Brussels. What's the name of it? So it used to be Sabena. Uh, Brussels, Brussels Airlines. Airlines. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Brussels Airlines. Uh, interestingly, is so it, it's owned by Lufthansa. Up to now, Lufthansa had had more hands off approach. They basically fired everybody. Now the management, they're taking over. They're even putting, I think, a German CEO uh, as at the helm of the company starting in March. And they are developing something. It was a bit of the case, but it's becoming kind of a low-cost airline now. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense because they seem to be diverging a little bit the group from premium and low-cost. And these guys are sort of somewhere in the middle. So it makes sense for them to tack in one direction or the other. They are not losing money, but they're making that much. The thing here is that I'm looking to go to Africa this year, and they have a lot of routes to Africa mm. because, of course, you know, Belgium Belgium yeah. was a colonizer in, in Africa. So Sabena was a very big airline to go to Africa, and Brussels is not as big, but 
you would think that going low cost for that bit is not does not make sense because they have routes where they almost have a monopoly, so they could do whatever they want. But for the rest, they're this one of these airlines that you they don't make you feel anything. Yeah, you're so know. true. It's so true. You're you're indifferent to them entirely. I flew them and they're okay, but. I almost cannot remember yeah. what it, how it was yeah. inside. I need to Google image it to kind of remember <laughs> it. So it means it's very... <laughs> that leads me to the last bit on Star Alliance. Star Alliance is thinking of adding low cost into its alliance. Uh, I don't think they will open up to any low cost, but they will open up to all these airlines that have like your wings compared to Lufthansa. Budget, because that's the term they use. They don't use low cost. Your budget carrier will be allowed to enter the alliance. So do you think that's something that's going to happen everywhere? I, I think so. It makes it's an, it makes total sense, doesn't it? I mean, it's a natural extension of your alliance's reach anyway. Integrating it or, or sort of broadening the integration to include the low cost arms of your existing partners absolutely makes sense. When you think about your miles, not thinking about the alliance here, it's already kind of the case. I mean, if you if you buy something on Lufthansa and you ended up being you know flying a bit on on Eurowings, or you're buying Cathay Pacific and you end up flying a bit on Cathay Dragon or Singapore and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you, you are given the miles for that bit anyway. So it's as if it's part, I'm not saying it's the same airline, but it's already so well integrated that it's only normal that the mothership will take these little minions into its realm. Yeah. I, I'm surprised that this has taken this long to happen. It makes total sense. You mentioned earlier, so you did a very quick trip with uh, yeah, I think. I did. I did. I went to Rome for lunch. I, I <laughs> flied in in the morning, flight out in the afternoon. Alex lives a very glamorous and posh life. As you can see, he goes to Rome for lunch <laughs> with an aircraft. Yeah, except I didn't eat anything. I gave a speech <laughs> and came back. I was the first person into the lounge when it opened at five o'clock in the morning. Ah, I've done that a few times. It's nice. Right? It is. It is rather nice. You get your pick of the seats. <laughs> Too much choice. You don't know which seat to take. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. Where did you go? Where did you, where did you go? Uh, I went. To the gallery is the south lounge, and the the seats obviously up against the window, even though it was pitch black outside and nothing was taken off. But it was interesting because it was the day before the Six Nations rugby match in Rome between England and Italy. So my plane was absolutely wow. rammed going out there with rugby fans who were looking forward to it. But on the way back that same day, obviously, later, and it was A321 both ways, by the way. And I had that killer seat, 9A, which is the emergency exit without a seat in front of it. So you basically ah. could be 12 feet tall and still have, have room. My favorite seat. It's a great seat. And the flight back, there was, I think we had seven or eight rows of business class. And there was four of us on board because everybody was going the other direction and no one was coming coming back. And it was a weekend. It was a Saturday, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, it's totally understandable. But I had a a lovely experience. They had the iPad up, this legendary iPad app, and there were only three people with status on the airplane because you can see the list. And I was the only gold card person I could see um, because there was gold and there were two or three blues. And we had a bit of a delay pushing back because the runway area was busy. So the the cabin was secure with the jet bridge had pulled away. And the, the cabin crew working the club cabin just came up and struck up a really casual conversation with me. Just, how are you, Mr. Hunter? Good to see you again. What, you know, what brought you to town? It was so natural, so unforced, so friendly, just fantastic customer service. And just they used the data that they were given that I was a gold card holder, but didn't ram it in my face or make it obvious that they um, they were you know scripted 
to do this. It was yeah. really, really impressive. I think BA, when they do this, I mean, that's what we said earlier on this show. I think when BA does this, they, they are very good. That's where we see that the airline is, has had a long experience in how to handle customers. It's also part of the culture. The British culture is not too much in your face, obviously, but yes. it's simply they, they found a right balance into how to address you because you know that they know, so you can expect that they will, but it's not overly in your face. And or especially, and that's the, one, the bit I appreciate the scripted part because, for instance, Qatar which I also appreciate. They're younger, their crew is younger, and you can see sometimes, it's almost endearing, by the way, you know, they, they address you with almost like, f- not fear, fear isn't a, come on, let's not exaggerate, but like anxiety, because they, they don't want to F it up, because you have this supposedly very important passenger for them, because you're gold, and they are giving you this script that they're supposed to tell you, and you can feel it's given. Yeah. Whereas in BA, I never had that expression, even the, the one time, and I said, I can't remember which episode it was in, but the one time I got gold for the first time, I sat, it was also a European flight, and I sat in, I remember it was 1F, so really first row, and this lady comes to me and starts you know, welcoming me as a valid customer because it was my first ever gold flight. You could feel it was, of course, she had been taught what to say, but never it felt it was scripted. And that's, that's amazing, it, yeah. being able to do that. And it's night and day between... Feeling scripted, it's almost it's almost more insulting. Insulting is perhaps a bit too strong, but it's 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 less effective than nothing at all. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to have a robot saying you because they you feel they had to say something at that point. Either don't tell me anything, or so. For instance, you remember the the story when I was uh, telling I was flying back from uh, was it uh, Hong Kong to Zurich with Swiss, Mm. and I was not marked as a Alliance passenger, right? When they remarked it, besides the fact that they offered me chocolate, whatever, they didn't go into script mode. They didn't have to say, okay, now we have to kind of oh, rewind. Let's pretend he just boarded the flight and let's go into a script. They didn't do that. That's why they were good because you felt they were sorry. They empathized. I said, no, it's not a big deal. I don't need to. I just wanted to have my miles credited. I don't need the whole fluff. But there are some airlines that would have gone to the script at this yeah. point. I said, okay, so do we, la- yeah. we lost the last, I don't know, 45 minutes not recognize this person, this passenger as a valued passenger, whatever, as a frequent flyer. Yep. So they would actually start it from zero. And that would have felt robotic. Stop, 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 stop. So I think these airlines are able to you know, empower and trust their frontline people, their yep. crew to say, you know what? Just handle it the way you would handle a normal person. That's the thing. They felt that with you, they know they see you, they feel your your reactions, they know what to say, not to say. Maybe some people would like to be scripted more, so they would go a little bit more. Like a, a guy like the guy that addressed me in the Swiss flight understood that I was really saying, it doesn't matter, so didn't force it on me. If I were another person, I could have said, I'm really upset, and then he would have acted upon a different route to actually satisfy. And that's the sign of very good quality crew. And uh, BA is one, Swiss is one that they have. Like you seemingly have always a positive experience with the people. And I find it's almost universally with the more senior as in experience, not not, not rank in the organization cabin crew that have been around the block many times, have seen it all before. And this is just second nature to them. And I, and I will add there the other bit that I really do appreciate, and that's why I like EasyJet. In Norwegian has that uh, as well. It's like just friendly, yeah. And just we know that we are a no frills airlines. We know that where there's no much to do, there's no like frequent flyer, whatever. So they're just going to be cool. They're young. Yeah. They're fun. They 
address you like you're just a buddy. That's why they stand for EasyJet is Orange Fun Airline. That's what you stand yep, for. South, Southwest is the same deal. Exactly. That's why I'm very interested to see these differences we just mentioned before. How would someone from Cathay Dragon address you compared to Cathay Pacific? How would someone from Scoot address you compared to Singapore? They're part of the same group, uh, Eurowings versus Lufthansa. Are they going to the same training? Do they not care? It would be very interesting to see. Uh, for me, I haven't actually had enough experience to kind of compare the, the little brother with the big brother, little sister big with the big sister. Yeah. I haven't done that yet. It would be, yeah, uh, it, would, it would be very interesting to... To, to see if what the continuity of brand is on those. Which, and then uh, let's move on and we'll talk about more about BA and Ether next time, but which comes back to the whole point about BA not being sure what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. You cannot be two things at the same time. And at some point, they will have to make a call. Yes, uh, they know. absolutely will. So uh, let's go to the US to finish this show. Uh, first, it was a bit expected. The US is not anymore the second most visited country in the world. The first is for a very long time has been France. France is very popular, and I understand why. Uh, second now is Spain, and third most visited country in the world is the US. Disappointed, Alex? No. <laughs> it's, I, you know, it doesn't matter to me one way or the other. It's just I think it's a very interesting shift in trend that more than anything. The lobby, let's call it that way, for tourism, so that, that represent all the stakeholders in travel. Say that's pretty actually dire. Say the 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 lost spending amounts to four point five billion dollars, I think, Oof. and at least forty thousand jobs not created. Wow, uh, oh, that's substantial. That's significant. That's a drop of three point three percent. And if you just count the inbounds so of people coming from uh, from abroad, is four uh, percent drops. It's it's significant. Is it long lasting? I'm not sure the US stays a very attractive country. I still love to go there. But yeah, it made the headlines, so I wanted to mention it. I'm not sure how much it affects the air industry, though. And we'll talk in the next episode. There's been some uh, new developments in the ME3 versus uh, the US airlines, but we don't have time. We're already running super late on this show. The one thing I love about the US, the friendliness, yes. the warmness of the crews in general. This story is why I love this industry. After 10,000 flights, 30 million gallons of jet fuel, mm-hmm. Captain Jeff Rowland prepared a typed note. He was retiring. He typed a note, put a note on every single seat on his last what? ever flight to thank all the passengers on that flight to having flown for me. And the note is it's in full. I'm not going to quote it in full, but it's... It's really fantastic. I'm going to just quote two or three sentences. Transporting you to destinations all over the world while you graciously endured my lane PAs, critiqued every single landing and thanked me for safe flying, provided purpose for this lifelong endeavor. Uh, The only one mistake American Airlines, this was American Airlines that he flew, the only one mistake American Airlines made, they paid me and would have done it for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. Wow. It is. On this final flight, his family and close friends were all in first class, apparently. The plane was decorated with balloons, etc., etc. He didn't hear, obviously, because he was landing the plane. But, of course, when the plane landed, the entire plane erupted in applause to thank him. That's that's amazing. Oh, I mean, we, we still hear that, but that's really wonderful. As a 16-year-old kid flying around in an airplane by myself, I was like, holy moly, that's a big thing. <laughs> and here I did thousands of flights in and out of there after all this time. It's really an amazing thing. How amazing is that? Wonderful that story. Would, yeah. What love, a nice touch. So, uh, Philadelphia Airport. What, do you, what can you tell us about Philadelphia Airport, Alex? Well, I, you know, I, I transited through there, like I mentioned at the top of the show, a while ago. 
And it was very, very easy to do. It was a nice, I think the terminal that I went through, which is where uh, I was flying on American, actually. I flew American from Philadelphia to Manchester on a 330. And the, the terminal that 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 was in was was nice and new and airy and one of those long uh very similar or at least it reminded me of uh Dulles. You know, Dulles has got that long, long kind of corridor feel to it that uh in, in at least in the terminal that BA had, which I think in Philadelphia is terminal A, where American and BA and I think Lufthansa and Qatar Airways are there as well, but uh, yeah, just I, I rather liked it. It's it's the biggest airport in the area, and I was impressed. Again, I, I it was one of those ones where I was sprinting through the airport, and I didn't really get a chance to, to do it. But from what I understand, it's actually not that difficult to get from Philadelphia into to the city itself, or from the airport into into the city center itself. They've got a um, I don't know if it's a if it's a full train line or if it's kind of like a hybrid, a light rail thing but that goes directly to the airport and then and then taxis as well it's definitely a city i want to go back to i really really do to, to see the bell to see the bell, bell. and I, I you know philly cheesesteak <laughs> and all that stuff but yeah of course i, I think course. that's it's Sorry. a city with a lot of character as well it, it is indeed for the airport i think american airlines is one of their maybe not hub but i mean it's one of their they own half of the airport they, they have american a huge airlines presence very, there and i think yeah, I it's think so. not just because of american airlines but it's also a uh, a legacy of uh, U.S. Airways had a huge yeah. presence there, and in fact, the the A three thirty I flew from Philadelphia to Manchester that was an old U.S. Airways route. Did that's why there's sort of Fortress American Airlines there as well because they shifted it from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia in like the probably in the late nineties. But it's yeah, it's a, it's a neat it's a neat airport, and uh, it's they actually have a replica of the Liberty Bell made out of oh. made, made out of Lego. <laughs> no in the terminal that I went through, but it was it was landside, so I didn't actually get a chance to see it because I only stayed airside. <laughs> which is <laughs> was it was it was it uh, the, the rumor I'm hearing is that it's very busy. Does it as in the capacity is close to max? Uh, maybe not, of course, at every time of the day. But did, did you have any of that feeling? It was like nothing it was busy. Oh all. yeah, yeah, it felt really busy, uh, okay. but not 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 in a uh, in an unpleasant or hectic way. It was there was just a lot. A lot, a lot happening. I think that they've got some pretty ambitious plans to try and expand the airport, okay. um, but I don't know where they are with with that. And I think actually Southwest Airlines have uh, used it as a as a as a hub and have are working directly with the city to make that happen. But I don't know where that where, how that ended up. I think Frontier is also has a big presence. Big at least I've never flown Frontier, so I cannot uh, I cannot say. I mean, uh, I should try to bring a peacock to Frontier. Yeah. And <laughs> See if they make you drown it. <laughs> So, yeah, so it's mostly domestic. I mean, it has clearly, of course, international routes. You mentioned um, uh, Manchester. I know that London is, is very important. But I, I have this feeling that it's there's aircraft coming in from abroad, and then you kind of no. You're you right. Know. You're right. I think in terms of the airlines that serve it outside of the U.S., there aren't many. There's well, Air Canada, but there's BA that just go to London. Iceland Air just to Reykjavik, Lufthansa to Frankfurt, Qatar Airways to Doha, and and that's it. American fly to quite a few places. They fly to Manchester, London, Rome, and a few other places in Europe. But that's about it. Yeah, you're right. It's definitely a much more um, domestic focused airport. And uh, UPS. Yeah, it's a big cargo hub as well. But again, I think that that's more regional as well. It's not, okay. there's not much. Though one could say, I'm going to be cheeky here, uh, since it's uh, close to Delaware, uh, probably these cargo planes are filled with cash. You're yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, sorry, friends from Delaware. I've actually, we had a few, looking at the stats, we had actually a few people from Delaware listening. Uh, right now, it's a competition between uh, London area and California, obviously, right? <laughs> about the most people who listen to this oh, show. Funny. So Philadelphia people, you have to wake up. Your layover was short. It's hard to, for me to ask you if it was a good layover, but would you actually yeah, do it again? The amenities looked fine and getting from, I went in one terminal and had to go to another. I think I went from either B or C to A and it was fine. And actually the cabin crew on my flight, I think I was coming from Memphis, were very knowledgeable and said, look, you've got plenty of time, even though we're running late, just go this way and then go that way. And I, I, had, I did have plenty of time. So it was easy to transition through. I don't know if that's the case for all of the terminals because I think that there's six or seven at least. Yeah. We don't want anyone to think that we're downplaying this airport. It is a big airport. It is like more than what, 35 million or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Passenger. It's a- it, it is a big airport. But it's 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 more than uh, JFK can say because uh, transitioning between terminals sometimes JFK can be a nightmare. If you say that you had no problem here, that's actually a good thing yeah. because that's in the US sometimes, especially when you switch between uh, non-protected, like we used the word before, uh, tickets. If you switch between airlines and you have to switch terminals, in some cases it can be really dire. Yeah, it, absolutely. You can get caught out and then you're in trouble. Guys, anyone from Philadelphia wants to chime in and offer more insights about Philadelphia? The only reason we did it this time was because of the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl that just happened. <laughs> congrats, guys. Congrats, the Eagles, for winning the Super Bowl. Uh, what are your upcoming flights? We don't know what we're going to record next, so probably you will have flown by then. Yes, going to Dubai briefly this coming weekend. Well, in in seven days. And then that's it. Really, I don't have much else on the, on the calendar for a while. It's very weird. It's very weird. And I'm totally fine with it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Actually, I'm flying in about two weeks. Uh, so maybe we'll have a recording just before I do or not. We'll see. I'm, I'm flying to Asia. I'll guys, I'll let you know more because we're already running. It's one of the longest episodes ever, but why not? Yeah. And you know what? I've... I've seen, so Apple has uh, finally released its uh, podcast uh, stats. Of course, only for people who listen to our show through Apple podcast app and iTunes. And in terms of engagement, meaning the number of minutes you're listening out of uh, our full rant for (laughs) gibberish for like an hour and a half, you guys are amazing. You're listening to more than 90% of our episodes. Yeah, you have incredible endurance, people. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. And on that, uh, happy flying. Safe travels, guys. 